It's the Security Weekly News, episode 234. That's an iconic number. Uh, I'm Doug White, and uh, welcome to the week of 21 August 2022. We've got Tempest Fugit, PyPy again, WordPress. I don't know if it's Hick Vision or High K Vision, but whatever it is, let's call it High K Vision. That sounds better. Zimbra, Palo Alto, LED Morse code, and Jason Wood on this episode of the Security Weekly News. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. It's the show that keeps you up to date on the latest security news twice a week. Your trusted source for accurate security information and expert analysis. It's time for Security Weekly News. Right now, everybody is talking about cryptocurrency. And the cyber criminals are hiding in the conversation. Cyber criminals use social engineering loaded with urgency and fear to successfully prey on your company, your employees, and your customers. Spear phishing is just one of the 13 types of email threats. Barracuda has identified 13 types and shows you how you can protect your company, your customers, and your reputation. Find out about the 13 email threat types and Barracuda email protection by going and getting your free ebook at securityweekly.com barracuda. That's securityweekly.com slash barracuda. All right, it's the Security Weekly News. Uh, so we can't seem to get away from this problem. Uh, or maybe it's just one of those things that's always been a problem and we're just now sort of like taking notice of it. So Hockey, Hockey Lubas uh, shared that they had found at least 33 packages on PyPy that all launched XMRig, which is an open source Monero crypto miner. And... Uh, since that time, more researchers have found at least 241 malicious NPM and PyPy packages that drop crypto miners on Linux machines. So Lubos said that while they were in the process of writing up the report on the first 33 packages, the same person published 22 more packages with the same payload. And then after the report was filed with PyPy, the initial packages were deleted, but Lubris said another 22 were uploaded right away. So the minute they take them down, they put up some more. All these packages target Linux and install XMRig. Uh, the package has a piece of code that downloads a bash script from a command and control server. Lubris found that the packages... Uh, he was he found these by using something called the Package Observatory Club, which he called a pet project, and um, was that examines metadata about new packages on PyPy and RubyGems.org, and then use a heuristic to try to tag possibly suspicious packages. So again, as we said last week, when we were reporting on this, and maybe even the week before, if you're using packages from from PyPy or npm or anywhere else you probably should be looking at that code and put that through code review before you attach it to any serious project because you don't know what it's got in it and it may well have something just like this. And if you look at this code, it's very obvious what it does. I mean, it, it's like, why would this library reach out to a server online and pull stuff down? I mean, you know, so it's pretty obvious if you just look. WordPress sites are being compromised and a fake Cloudflare DDoS protection page is put up. Uh, the pages link to installers for NetSupport uh, Remote Access Trojan and Raccoon Stealer, which is a password-grabbing Trojan that we've talked about before. Security provided a report that the attackers are targeting, wait for it, 
poorly secured WordPress site. Imagine that. Are there any of those really around? And they basically add a JavaScript payload that displays this fake Cloudflare protection DDoS screen. Uh, the screen, which uh, I've never seen this as a real screen, but it may be something real. It basically says that uh, there's a DDoS alert. You need to click here to bypass the DDoS protection screen. You know, one of these kind of you must validate yourself sort of thing. But when you click it, well, no big surprise, it downloads a file called security underscore install dot ISO, which acts like a tool that you have to have to get around the DDoS protection. The ISO itself, when you open it, it has an executable inside and it installs an application called, well, DDoS Guard. Okay, everything seems fine so far. And then it asks you to enter a code that pops up on the screen to validate your computer is real. So very sophisticated kind of thing. But really, all this is just a PowerShell script, which runs a whole chain of scripts that display this code and the, and the main screen and all this kind of stuff. But when it's doing that, it also installs the remote access Trojan and the password stealers. According to security, WordPress admins should check the theme files on their site as this is the most common infection point in this particular campaign. At the same time, you might want to alert your users to never download ISO like this since they're not typically part of any sort of legit action. So, you know, I, I mean, there are legitimate reasons to download things, but usually a pop-up window on a website is not a good one. Lockbit ransomware gang has been taken down by a DDoS attack as well. That, and it would appear that it's a kind of, it might be a virtual gang war, a la Salazzo taken on Don Corleone kind of thing, you know, like you dirty rats, you killed my brother, you know, kind of that kind of stuff. Um, I'm sorry, I'm crossing my movie references there, but uh, apparently Entrust was breached on June 19th or thereabouts with ransomware, and Lockbit eventually claimed credit for this ransomware attack on the 18th of August and threatened to leak all the stolen files in 24 hours unless the ransom was paid. So a, a standard double ransomware plot. But shortly after that, as they started publishing the data for the tour base on their tour base leak site, the site was hit by a distributed denial of service, uh, which included a string that said, and, and please cover the children's ears because this is offensive to everyone around. It says, quote, delete underscore in trust com underscore motherfuckers. Now, I mean, that's, and it was just repeated over and over and over. In fact, it's on the screen, so you can see it if you're watching. If you're just listening, you just have to hear me say offensive words. But uh, that's a pretty clear message, a very old school. I mean, we used to do stuff like this all the time. Uh, I know that I used to write these kind of like fire across a bow attacks uh, to go against people that were probing our networks when I was long, long ago in Colorado. I would write these things, just scripts that did stuff exactly like this that said, you know, leave this site alone, you know, or, and, and I usually put some nice epithets on there too. So, you know, if you, uh, if you see that kind of stuff, it kind of tells you, hey, we're on to you. But anyway, Talos researcher Azem Shakui said that Lockbit claimed they were getting hit with 400 requests per second for more than 1,000 servers, which essentially took them out. It's not clear, though, who the attacker actually was. Uh, there is some speculation that it might be in trust themselves hacking back. 
uh, a controversial tactic these days. But currently, uh, as of to when this article was written, the LockBit 3.0 site has been mostly offline. Uh, according to the article, the attacker had initially demanded a ransom of eight million U.S. dollars and then reduced it to six point eight. But the victim said they would only pay one million, and they had acquired some chats back and forth somehow. LockBit has announced that they are straight. <laughs> this is my favorite part. LockBit ransomware gang has announced that they are strengthening their infrastructure to protect against future attacks. I mean, do they have HR reps at LockBit that make these announcements after consulting corporate legal? I mean, it would be Tom Hagen if you're following my first movie reference. I mean, this is a weird story, and it, it's a weird time in the world when, when this is, you know, like this is a, a, a criminal organization, and they have these very, you know, professional-sounding announcements, but whatever. Uh, you know, I, I like the old days better when they said stuff like, all your site or ours, you know, kind of, kind of fun stuff. 80,000 high K vision cameras were found. If I'm mispronouncing that, I'm sorry. Hick vision sounds terrible. 80,000 high K vision cameras were found exposed on the internet and have a critical command injection flaw that is easy to do if specially crafted messages are sent to the web server. Well, that's not good. Uh, the flaw is from actually from last year and it was patched in a firmware update in 2021, but like a lot of infrastructure type things and everything else for that matter, uh, so far, over 2,300 organizations in 100 countries, which operate tens of thousands of high-K vision camera systems, have not applied. Notice, have not applied for the firmware update as of the report from Cypherma. So, you know, okay, that's bad. I mean, literally. There are two known published exploits for this flaw, which were published in October 21 and uh, February 22. So basically, anyone from some sixth grader uh, on up, sorry, kids, I know you're probably as good as this as anybody, uh, but some sixth grader who says, I want to learn to hack, uh, can get these public exploits and use them, and they can target these systems. In December of 2021, a Mirai-based botnet called Moobot exploited this very type of system to spread and form DDoS swarms. CISA issued an alert for the system in January 2022 that said the exploit was being actively targeted in the wild and warned that attackers could take control of the devices and that the flaw should be immediately patched. Cypherma said that Russian-speaking forums sell network entrance points which rely on these camera networks for botnet use or lateral movement within the, co in the company. 285,000 high-K vision web servers were identified uh, on the web. That was 285,000 of these servers were identified by Cypherma on the internet. And they found that over 80,000 of the servers were still vulnerable to these exploits. So that's about 30% of a massive number of servers around the world. Uh, the camera web server also comes with weak default passwords. Uh, and apparently these are often still in use because somebody just comes in and sticks the cameras on the wall and says, hey, you're up and running. Let's go. Uh, so if you do have one of these systems, please patch it and maybe do a little bit of pen testing on it to see if it's going to get hosed or used as a, a, a DDoS. Although if I guess the DDoS was being used against LockBit, then it would be a good DDoS. I, I don't know. Things are getting complicated. We're going to need like an ethics lawyer or something around. Since we're on patching today anyway, if you haven't patched your Zimbra email server by now, uh, you should probably assume that you have already been exploited and you should start looking for activity in your network per CISA on Monday. 
CISA issued this alert via their network and MSISEC and warned that the five Zimbra collaboration suite flaws, which we've talked about before, they were in the news last week. Uh, they said they are now being actively exploited to break into government and private sector networks. They did issue some new detection signatures to help identify if these flaws are being abused in your network. Um, there are uh, there are patches issued for all of the flaws, but of course you have to apply them. Sonar Source discovered the original flaws back in March and published an analysis which led to patches being issued. In June, proof of concept exploits for one of the vulnerabilities were published and, and basically at this point, well, if you didn't patch, someone may well have targeted you because they just were using Shodan you know, scans. They find the server and they come right in. So the article reports that there is a, and I like this term, I, I hadn't thought this word in a long time, miscreant. There is a miscreant selling an exploit kit for one of the flaws, and there is a Metasploit module which can be used to create a RAR file which you can email to a Zimbra server, which will also allow the exploit. So please patch this because it's all out there. There's instructions out there on how to do it. There's toolkits to do it. So, you know, a, there's more than one miscreant in the world. So somebody is going to target you on this. CISA also issued a warning about Palo Alto this week and said that the Pan OS is under active attack and should be patched ASAP. Federal agencies have until the 9th of September to patch under the rules in the United States. Palo Alto issued a patch for this flaw earlier in August and said the flaw could be used by remote attackers to carry out reflected and amplified denial of service attacks. Really on that today, too. Uh, so reflected and amplified denial of service attack without any authentication. Palo Alto released a statement and said the flaw can only be exploited on a limited number of systems under certain conditions and that vulnerable systems are not part of a common co firewall configuration. There's that corporate HR legal consult again. The article contains a list, if you're interested, of known vulnerable models running the Pan OS. Now, you know I love esoteric attacks, and I, and I almost always report on them, even though they're not that, you know, germane, but I, I love them. And, 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 and here's another one from Mordecai Guri in Israel. I love these guys. They make my day every time they release a new crazy, uh, you know, incredible exploit that is just absolutely nuts. And this one is called Etherled or ether LED. I don't know how they pronounce it. And basically what it does is it turns the lights on ports. So I would guess it's the data lights. I don't know if it, it didn't say if it was the link light or the data light or both, but it turns the data light on a port on a NIC into a tool that can blink Morse code for really low bandwidth data exfiltration from air gapped systems. So this was, they were talking about like highly secured installations that air gap everything. They're not connected to the internet. This was a way you could put malware on a system and have it Morse code you the information off the system. Now, obviously you would have to be able to see the system. So when I controlled very, very restricted systems, they were behind a lot of people with guns, a bunch of fences with razor wire and more by people with guns. And then finally, you know, there was another person with a gun, a long hallway, another person with a gun, another hallway, a vault door, and then you went inside in which there was a whole bunch of crypto doors and all kinds of stuff. And there were no windows and all the equipment was like in a Tempest uh, environment. So the screens were covered with, yeah, so good luck. Now, though, you could probably have seen the drive lights and the, and the network lights. So I think this attack edges over into Mission Impossible slash Tom Cruise hanging from wires in a bank vault kind of thing, but it's still fun, and it's still a cool attack. 
The attack involved planting malware on a target computer, which is impossible, right? Because it's air-gapped. I mean, nobody ever brought the Taco Tuesday flash drive in, or did we? Yeah, I think that's happened. But they, but they, you, you know, you ha they plant the malware, and then it has on it modded firmware for the NIC. So this was not easy stuff to install. The malware in the secure site then is obviously put in there by James Bond after James seduces the entire Iranian royal guard with his great charisma. Uh, the malware then takes control of the color, the frequency, duration, and so forth of the LED. So the exfiltration could then use any sort of scheme to send data frames over the link, which could include system info or passwords. Now, obviously, Q gave James Bond some sort of camera built into a carnation they could leave in a vase on the table so that, you know, that Bond could sit out and capture the signals. Very, very fun. You know, I mean, it's a cool attack. It's worth reading. There was they had another one on there too. So if you want to read this article, but uh, uh, so you know, I I would recommend you read it. if you like that kind of stuff. They've done a lot of these weird kind of attacks. Well, before breaking into cybersecurity, his films involved anthropomorphic fungi and were considered a film noir standard. Uh, I'm your shroom and Take Me, Alice are considered both hypnotic deeply disturbing, and even pornographic at times, according to the New York Times. Please welcome Jason Wood. Hey, everybody. Uh, good to be back with you again. And just to add on to the Zimbra bit, uh, to underscore that, yeah, I am seeing Zimbra servers compromised every single week at this point. So patch that stuff. <clears throat> so um, this morning, the... The Washington Post and CNN published articles that contained information about a whistleblower whistleblower complaint filed by Peter Zetko, who we know as Mudge, uh, against Twitter, and it was filed with the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission, uh, the Department of Justice, the Federal Trade Commission, and appropriate committees in Congress. And this report was filed on the 6th of July uh, in 2022, so just you know, a little over a month ago. Uh, but the report just became public today. Now, you know, we're talking about big numbers here uh, as far as earnings and, and money being on the table. You add in Elon Musk. You know, buying Twitter, then backing out of buying Twitter, and and all this other stuff, and politics. Yeah, you got all the makings of a John Grisham mod novel, minus people getting killed. Um, I spent this morning trying to make sense of all of the information that's out there, and honestly, I am not going to do it justice here today uh, because I only had a couple of hours really to look at it, and there's just a lot to unpack. Uh, the the whistleblower report alone, uh, the PDF is 84 pages long. And there's additional documents as well. So I'm sure many of you are going to be interested in what that report says exactly instead of relying on summaries from news sites or anything I'm going to say. So if you go to the website and check out the show notes of this episode, I've got the PDF of that, uh, that report linked there. Uh, here are the basics, though, from what I was able to determine. According to whistlebloweraid.org, in December 2021, uh, Mudge began following the lawful disclosure process, and he attempted to use all of the internal channels available to him uh, to report on issues that, and concerns he had with Twitter and some of their practices and how they were doing things. At some point here, this that was exhausted, and it crossed over into him contacting law enforcement agencies. He's got a number of concerns. Um, basically, Twitter's internal controls, uh, it's a central uh, um, 
systems that are important to, to controlling the platform. Access to sensitive information is way too lax. Uh, everybody's got access all over the place. Uh, Twitter's leadership is has gone to taken steps to mislead their own board as well as government entities, uh, regulators about the security weaknesses and their practices inside of the company. And, you know, keep on going. Uh, Twitter is even unable to really know whether or not they deleted user account information when somebody hits the delete my information button uh, because they just essentially lose track of where that data is. I'm thinking at this point of things being copied off from like my timeline to some other system for analysis so they can tell exactly what I'm interested in buying so they can send ads to me that way or whatever. Um, Additionally, on top of that, you know, with that, Twitter doesn't even know how many bots they have on the platform and executives have very little motivation to try and understand this and report it accurately. Uh, as, as he's going through this process, basically on the 19th of January, Mudge gets fired for, according to Twitter, poor performance and leadership. Um, according to the whistleblower report, this occurred basically while Mudge was in the process of making a report to their audit and risk committees inside of Twitter. And it was you know, being asked to report some stuff. There was some contention around that. And uh, basically, he was fired before this could be completely reported in but even then after he's fired uh mudge gets contacted five different times between the 19th and to 27th of january 2022 for information about what he was trying to report on because their compliance officer wanted that information so he spent quite a bit of time on his own sending information you know the best he could from from memory without access to any of the data that he had before now why is this being published to the SEC, the FTC, Department of Justice, and Congress. Um, well, Twitter is under a number of illegal agreements to to do different things um, you know, that they've entered into with the FTC, uh, where they've found them and them having issues with their practices. I'm going to switch over to the report to look at some of this stuff. Uh, some of the, why is they, he reporting to them? Um, basically, ex- uh, this is a pretty much a quote, extensive repeated uninterrupted violations of the Federal Trade Commission Act by making false and misleading statements to users and the FTC uh, about the Twitter platform's security, privacy, integrity, violations of SEC rules governing public companies, uh, including auditing requirements, fraudulent material misrepresentations and communications with the board of directors, investors, constituting securities law violations, negligence and even complicity in respect to efforts by foreign governments to infiltrate, control, exploit, surveil, and or censor the company's platform, staff, uh, and operations. And that is the opening salvo on page basically one and two. Um, So, you know, basically they've got all this reporting that they're supposed to be doing, legal agreements they're supposed to comply with that they've agreed to, espionage, all kinds of stuff going on here. And he is, Mudge is just basically saying they're being purposely inaccurate about this. Um, Some of the things he leads into specifically, you know, the company has terrible security. About half the workforce has been granted access to critical controls for the platform. Software engineers have direct access to production, uh, which if you've ever worked at uh, some of these web environments, probably doesn't a big surprise to you. Uh, Logging for what anybody does on the with their access rights to prod is poor. 
Uh, 40% of IT systems do not meet security requirements, and roughly 250,000 or half uh, uh, servers, half of their servers are running out of date software with limited security controls and aren't being patched or anything like that. Uh, the bot reporting is also interesting as well. Uh, basically, you know, the company is reporting this to investors, uh, you know, to, to, to help justify why you want to invest in the, the platform where they make their money and stuff like that. It has what they, 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 they report on their bots based on what they call monetizable daily active users or MDAUAs, MDAUs, excuse me. And this is reported to be less than 5%. And that's that 5% number you hear trotted out in the news all the time about bots on the platform. So what are daily active users that are not monetizable? Well, they aren't people, which somebody might call a bot um, or even known bots that we're, you know, that are out there. Uh, so we've got this other population of bots on the platform that, you know, we're, we're, we're not even reporting as, as, uh, as a problem because, again, the 5% number is based on the MDAUs. Um, so, you know, this dives into now the, the narrative around Elon Musk buying Twitter or not buying Twitter now and backing out of that. Uh, Musk's contention is that the 5% number that's being publicly reported is bogus, which this report tends to support. Uh, and not surprisingly, Musk lawyers have already subpoenaed Mudge because they want him to bolster their legal cases against Twitter. Zero shock. Um, we've got people weighing in on this all over the place. Uh, I haven't seen or didn't see, at least in the time available to me, statements directly from the agencies, uh, the SEC, FTC, or DOJ. They tend to move a little slower, not surprising. Uh, but completely expected, you know, politicians are starting to give their opinions. Chuck Grassley of Iowa was, has been reported as saying in a statement, basically, uh, the claims I've received from a Twitter, whist Twitter whistleblower raise serious national security concerns as well as privacy issues, and they must be investigated further, end quote. Zero shock. Uh, Twitter has responded by saying, hey, this report is full of inaccuracies and it's missing important context and that's not really what happened and, and things like that. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out as well. Um, in fact, you know, when they talk about bots and, and their efforts there, they, they to the, the population number of bots, they like to say, you know, well, here's how many we shut down every day or every week, which really doesn't address how many bots are on the platform just represents how fast they're bailing out wa uh, water from the boat. Uh, like I said, all of this is a super light touch on the information that's available. Uh, my opinion or thoughts, the things that Mudge alleges in the report sound reasonable and very plausible to me. Um, now, I've never had, you know, been in his position at a company of this size or been in a spot to talk about something like this, but a lot of this has a very familiar flavor to it. Um, I, you know, it, there, some of the things he reports are things that I've kind of experienced on a much smaller scale. So this isn't a surprise per se. Um, it, it's, it's just kind of what you would, yeah, all right, you're, you're, you're speaking to things that people are concerned about with their business, you know, their monet, their pos potential for profit. And things like that, and we want to silence that or keep it quiet. And so, eh. uh, the timing around the events in here is pretty dang dodgy, uh, particularly given the relationship as reported between Mudge and Parag Agrawal. 
Agarawal, the CEO of Twitter. Sorry for butchering that name. Um, so, yeah, they reportedly don't get along very well. Uh, Mudge has a pretty good reputation for being a straight shooter. Uh, and he's willing to speak out when he feels it's necessary. So, I mean, I've still got a ton more reading to do. Uh, but at this point, honestly, in my opinion, Mudge's claims sound very credible. So if you'd like to read more on this, I would recommend going and checking out uh, the link to the PDF, the, the report, the PDF uh, hosted by Word, um, Washington Post, as well as checking out the links to the articles by CNN and Word, uh, the Washington Post as well. Uh, this will be an interesting bit of drama, and I'm sure it's going to be all over the place as Musk is going to make hay out of this and keep it in the news. So go take a read. Thank you, Jason. That's uh, that's a big story and very complicated one for sure. But uh, check that out. Uh, finally, this is this is just kind of a cool article that I saw. Uh, it was about the article was about when Gizmodo wrote about all kinds of famous things. Now that when they wrote about them for the very first time. So the first mention of something that you'd probably have heard of in Gizmodo. For instance, in May of 2004, the headline, all of mp3.com impressions, colon, serious contender, was a story which included a note about a new product called Gmail being introduced in a review of a sketchy mp3 service. They said they liked Gmail. Uh, in the first mention in November of 2005, Facebook was described as, quote, a website that allows college students to put up profiles and make friends, join groups, etc. It went on to say, quote, it was similar to MySpace, but college students only, end quote. A quack medical gadget called Helicore Stress Eraser was being reviewed in January of 2006, and they mentioned YouTube for the first time. And in July of 2006, they introduced the Tesla Roadster. One more, one more. In March of 2007, Netflix. Tempest Fugit. And that is the news. Thanks, Jason. And we'll see you Friday on the Wrap-Up Show.